0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the first installment of Vaycast. My name is Chris Mespin, and I'll be one of your co-hosts throughout this podcast series. Now, before we get into the content of this first episode, you've got to be wondering, what is all this? What's Vaicwit? What are our goals? And what is this podcast all about? To answer a couple of those questions, though, we are Vaicwit a student-led organization that originates out of central Missouri with the mission to not only impact, but to educate the demographics that are most adversely affected by the vaping epidemic. This podcast is just one of the many resources we will be creating with the intent to educate everyone and anyone on exactly how big of an issue vaping is and what you could do to help this issue in your own community. With that being said, today's episode will feature an interview of Jeff Hardesty, who is a research associate at the Johns Hopkins Department of Health, Behavior, and Society. He has worked with the Institute of Global Tobacco Control and done research regarding the potential benefits and unintended consequences of domestic and international e-cigarette and tobacco policy. Currently, he's taking part in a Vaping and Patterns of E-Cigarette Use Research Study, which is a prospective cohort study of e-cigarette users in the United States. He has also authored reports on the raising of age of buying tobacco products from 18 to 21 and restricting flavored tobacco products. With that being said, let's
1: get straight into that interview.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right. Uh, so to kind of get into the interview, uh, we have a starter question. So how do you think the prevalence of e-cigarettes will change in the coming years compared to now? Yeah, so, I mean, that's a great question. Um, I wish I had a crystal ball that could, you know, give you guys a solid answer to that. You know, I think what I can do is I can speak to what the data has been in recent memory and, you know, kind of give you my thoughts on what I might see happening based on that. So, you know, in in 2019 among uh, 12th graders, I think the um, statistic is that 25 or nearly 25% um, were using e-cigarettes in the past 30 days and about half of those were daily users. Um, fast forward to 2020, um, in the early days of 2020, uh, that number actually lowered among 12th graders to uh, 20%. However, however, well, the concerning part to me is that the um, daily and frequent use actually increased uh, to 61%. And so just so you have context for what that means, um, daily or frequent use means at least 20 out of the last 30 days. So that's, that's very significant. Um, it's highly concerning, especially if those use rates stay high like that. Um, you know, I think what you're gonna end up seeing over time uh, for the general population, not necessarily um, specific to young people, but you're gonna start seeing um, much more highly elevated levels of use among young adults and then middle-aged adults you know, as people kind of age into the popular, you know, other age groups in the population. So, you know, you end up with this kind of like tidal wave effect, you know, of sorts happening, you know, across the different age groups, assuming nothing is done, um, you know, to prevent young people from from bathing.
3: Building off on that, um, what do you see as like a main reason for a potential increase or potential decrease among youth? Um, what do you think is causing the root cause of it is?
2: Yeah, I, you know, it's it's complex, right? It's not any one thing. There's no, you know, silver bullet policy that's going to, you know, end up fixing all of this. Um, you know, it was, you know, it, it was a positive that the minimum age of purchase went from eighteen to twenty one, and you know that there's a lot of states who are, you know, trying to ban flavors right now. Um, you know, I, I I think I would point to statistics like 8 out of 10, you know, people who initiate use of e-cigarettes start with a flavored e-cigarette, right? And these flavors, you know, are often very kid appealing, you know, it's not just fruit, but it's also candy and, you know, even like alcohol type things, you know, that I know young people t- like to, you know, um, use products that, you know, you know, people who are, you know, 21 and older are supposed to be using too, you know, so there's a lot of these kind of popular flavors. And, you know, I think when you combine all of that with, you know, you know, these massive media campaigns and advertising campaigns that have been done, you know, by the likes of Juul and, and others, you know, that's not just Juul, you know, you, you know, you kind of end up with, you know, this public health nightmare, right? Like, you know, these are products in, you know, in the case of Juul and Puff Bar, you know, the nicotine is very high concentration, um, you know, in one little pot of, you know, Juul, you know, that's the equivalent of an entire pack's worth of nicotine for cigarettes, right? Like, you know, that's just not okay. And um, it's just a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, what kind of effects um, are we seeing, um, like especially like, students? And since we're talking about younger age group, what kind of
3: effects are we seeing with students, like personal life, or, like academic life, or like mental health issues?
2: Yeah, so I mean, nicotine number one is the the highly addictive chemical, right? I mean, this is the reason why people who smoke cigarettes all the time, you know, the first thing they do in the mornings they wake up and you know they have their coffee and they have their cigarette. It's also the same reason why you have people who vape a lot, you know, they'll go to sleep with their vape, or, you know, you know it'll be like right next to their bed, you know, or, um, you know, they'll pull it out of their pocket and just kind of fidget with it, you know, like they would, you know, like their phone. Um, so, you know, I think that's important to, to make clear. Um, and, you know, there, there's other chemicals that are in these products, right? So it's not just nicotine. Nicotine is the addictive component, but it's the other chemicals that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm worried about as well. So, you know, we have known toxicants that are in there like chromium, nickel, arsenic, lead, um, and, you know, different flavorants as well, you know, it might be okay, you know, to, to eat a certain flavorant that's part of like a, like a food that you're eating. But when you inhale it, you know, that, that flavorant is not meant to be on that lung tissue. It's meant to be on digestive tissue. So that's also not safe. Um, and then I'll just add one thing, which is that, you know, we do know that nicotine stunts brain development. Um, you know, so I can't speak to, you know, what kind of effects that that would have for somebody who's in high school, for example, on like your academic life, but, you know, brain development goes on until you're early to mid twenties. So, you know, if, if you're vaping, you know, that, that could be potentially impacting you, you know, for the rest of your life.
1: Yeah, so obviously like one, one good way that could like maybe help combat this is like maybe a good, you know, school policy on this sort of stuff. So what do you think an ideal school policy should be to, you know, help combat, um, you know, uh, students vaping in, in school?
2: You know, I, I wish I had like a perfect answer for that. And I, I honestly don't, you know, I'm, I'm not well read on the subject of, you know, what schools have been up to on this issue. I'm typically more oriented towards like the policy side of things, um, you know, state and national government, but, um, you know, I, I think, you know, anytime you, can, and the reason I, I like to focus on those areas is because I really don't like the burden to be on the school. Um, I think it's really hard to manage this kind of thing. Like these products are always changing, and you know teachers have enough on their plates to begin with. You know, I, I really think that um, you know raising the minimum age from 18 to 21 will help. Maybe that's partially why we see a, a drop from 2019 to 2020 um, in use. You know, I think if you can get rid of the flavors, you're getting rid of a lot of the attraction that people will have to these products. Um, you know, I would like to see. Um, people uh, uh, or the FDA to get rid of um, the nicotine salts. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but basically, you know, there's two types of nicotine. Um, there's this something called free base, and then there's something called nicotine salt. And these are chemistry terms. It's not, it's not you know, salt like table salt. Um, but basically what they've done with this um, nicotine is they chemically alter the nicotine in such a way that it, it reduces the harshness of the nicotine um, because when you, when you typically vape um, or like some, especially if you've never used cigarettes or anything else before, nicotine can be really, really harsh on your throat. And so by making this chemical adjustment to the nicotine, um, they allow, you know, they can increase the amount of nicotine in the products and make it easier for young people, people who aren't used to that, you know, to pick it up and, you know, get all the positive effects that you feel from it, you know, and you decrease that harshness that might you know, otherwise persuade you to not use. So I would like to see FDA, you know, get rid of, you know, nicotine salts. I don't think they serve any useful purpose, you know, for adults who are trying to maybe use the products to quit. So, so like what policies in kind of recent history have been targeted towards like limiting e-cigarette usage? Yeah, so I think I touched on that a little bit. So um, I think the big one is that, you know, the minimum age was raised from 18 to 21 with the idea being that, you know, especially among older high schoolers, you know, people, you have friends who are, you know, maybe above 18, uh, but maybe who aren't 21. So it's easier for those people, you know, or it's harder for those people um, uh, with this new law to be able to have access to these products. And then they kind of, you know, prevents that filter filtering down um, through high school, high school level and, and under. Um, but beyond that, you know, again, it's the flavor bands. So, you know, again, again, eight out of 10 people start, you know, they start vaping with a flavor. So if you can get rid of those flavors, they become a lot less attractive.
3: Building off, um, raising the minimum age from 18 to 21, um, have there been any, um, like, sightings of like uh, underage, uh, underage people looking for illegal methods of trying to get uh, e-cigarettes rather than going through like a convenience store and finding them like at an increased rate?
2: Um, yeah, I'm not aware of any data that shows that at this point, you know, it's still pretty early. Um, you know, the national law went into effect I think in um, early 2020 and, you know, I think a lot of in-person research has been on hold uh, given the pandemic for the last year. So I'm not aware of, you know, anything super specific. I I do know, you know, I I would tell media, you know, when that was happening that, you know, it's not a silver bullet policy for that exact reason though, because there are many ways that people can get, um, can get tobacco, you know, like maybe your parent vapes or, and you can just get it from them or you can, hire somebody, you know, to you know, who is 21 to, to buy it for you. I know that those things happen. The The question is how frequently do they happen and is it to a degree that is concerning relative to what use was like before, before that regulation was in place?
1: So what could be like the economic toll or like the financial toll on someone who vapes? Because I mean, obviously to continue it, you know, you'd have to, you know, buy like, you know, vape pods or whatever. So You know, I was wondering like how much does that really like stack up to uh, a substantial cost over time?
2: Yeah. I mean, these products are, they can be very expensive, especially if you're a regular user of the products. Um, You know, I think to buy like a, like a puff bar, for example um, you know, it's, you know, those are relatively cheap. I mean, it's like eight to $10 to buy, to buy one, um, which isn't all that expensive, but, you know, young people especially are a bit more price sensitive to those types of things. Um, But, you know, typically, you know, for like the adult population, um, you know, yes, those types of products are used to some degree, but, you know, there are devices that cost, you know, anywhere from 60 to, you know, 100, $150. And then, you know, you have to buy the liquids that come with it, right? So, I mean, once you're out, you have to buy a refill and, you know, that that can certainly add up. I think, you know, they can run anywhere from a few dollars to, you know, a bit more premium ones can be like around $10 or so. Um, so yeah, I mean, of course, over time, this can certainly I mean, I, I don't have the, the math there or the calculator out in front of me. But yeah, it can certainly add up over time. And, you know, can prevent people from hitting other types of saving goals that they, they might otherwise be able to.
3: I think we can like go on to maybe a different subject on why there is a common belief that vaping is a healthier alternative to like conventional cigarette use do you know why there is this perception
2: yeah i yeah so this is a common question um and number one it's the marketing you know the industry is marketing the products in this way and you know there's They're not supposed to use certain words, but you know, the subtext is exactly what you're saying that these products are healthier or safer, you know and you know, to which I always say, you know these products are not safe. Like they're just not safe, full stop. Um, You know, the caveat here um, is that the, the amount of toxicants in these products relative to say smoking a cigarette, they are lower. It is a lower like concentration of, you know, some of the harmful toxicants that I mentioned earlier. Um, But they're still toxicants, right? And so among young people, you're going from a place of no harm to harm. You know, for adults, there's a possibility and it's not guaranteed that you're going from a place of a lot of harm to maybe one of slightly less harm, but we don't know um, what kind of impacts that actually has um, on people's health outcomes yet. Um, you know, I, I wish that we could have an answer, you know, to what are the long-term health effects of these products. But we, you know, it takes time. You know, these products were first introduced into into the U.S. in around 2006, and you know, they've really only been popular for the last five to six years. And cancer, as just one example, can take 20 to 30 years to develop in people. Um, and and we really can't do you know ethically we can't really do the types of experiments that would allow us to see um, you know what are these health effects we can't do like a dose response relationship to see you know if you use X amount of this nicot- or of this liquid you know how much cancer does this population get versus this this one that uses like a slightly lower one we like we just can't do that study so I you know we're kind of at the um, at the will of, you know, the longitude or like, you know, a longer time horizon just to see what happens in the natural population, you know, so, you know, it's, it's, it's that, but it also gets that message gets twisted a lot by the industry and their marketing, right? It's not, that does not mean these products are safe. It does not mean that there's going to be less cancer. It means that there's a possibility there could be less cancer, um, but we just won't
3: know that for, you know, a number of years. What do you think people our age or like, the general youth, what do you think they could do proactively to, you know, like fix the problem of the vaping epidemic?
2: Yeah, I, w- I would say, you know, if, if you're passionate about this issue, get in contact with your um, local advocacy groups. There's a, a lot of them around the country. Um, uh, and, you know, from there, they can often help you um, uh, find the right situations so that you can best communicate, you know, with your, your local representatives or like um, your state or federal legislators, um, you know, to, to advocate for that issue that you care about. Um, you know, you, you guys are all young and you guys all have, you know, college and other things ahead of you right now, too. So, you know, of course, if this is like a passion area for anybody you know, you can always, um, you know, get in touch with, you know, researchers like me, like who are going to be at your university. There's a lot of us around the U.S. Um, and, you know, you can get involved in the research side of things as well and, and, and trying to, like, help get, you know, help learn, you know, as much of this information as we can so that we can have, you know, better answers to a lot of these questions.
0: So with those ideas, like, policies, um, what other policies, like, on, like, legislative areas, can we like do more to decrease
3: this epidemic that's happening right now?
2: Yeah, I would, you know, a lot of the focus around the country right now is on flavors. Um, so, you know, you could, probably, you could probably look up like your state legislator or your state legislative site and you can look at what kind of bills were introduced in the past year and you could see if there's already something that's been, you know, some uh, people who've been involved with that type of issue um, already. I mean, the odds are in that favor. Maybe it didn't work, you know, maybe it didn't pass last year or the year before. I mean, often these things can take many years of trying um, and it might not be until that fifth or sixth or even tenth try before it happens. Um, but yeah, I, I, w- I would recommend, you know, maybe starting there or just getting in contact with your local represent- your local advocacy groups to see what kind of policies are being worked on. You know, others it might be related to tax and like raising the cost you know, that might actually, you know, like I said, young people are especially cost or price sensitive. So, you know, if you, if you end up raising the tax locally on the, these products, then you might end up pricing out a lot of people from the market as well. So, you know, there's a lot of these types of things and every state's different. Um, but nationally, I can say that those are probably like the two biggest ones right now.
3: Um, speaking on like legislative changes, do you think like a federal, like a uh, federal action or state or local action is ultimately more effective.
2: Um, yeah, I think both can be effective in their own ways, right? Like, you know, politicians come and go, political parties of different affiliations are always flipping back and forth, you know, and the the, the context is always, and you know, I would also add local, you know, jurisdictions can also make, you know, a lot of change too beyond just state and federal. Um, you know, certain, certain policies might be better, you know, at a national level to prevent people from, you know, you know, if, if, if basically playing a game of whack-a-mole, right? Like if you have like this tiny jurisdiction that has, you know, this rule, then they can just cross the border and, you know, maybe they have a totally different rule. So in those cases, it might be better to have something a bit um, uh, at a higher level of government, but, you know, a lot of change actually starts off at the local and the state level um, and then it, it, you know, the federal government is pretty, it's pretty rare that they are leading the charge on a lot of these issues. Like Tobacco 21, you know, I think it was, you know, there were, it was, it was a, a large number of states that, and lo- localities that actually had that policy in place before the federal government made that change. So yeah, I, I would just push hard at the local level as much as you can. Federal government is very difficult to get these things changed. Um, and it kind of like builds over time, right? So. Um, starting local and hopefully eventually getting to that national level.
1: Yeah. So I think we're sort of, you know, running out of time, I guess, but just to, just to sort of wrap up, um, is there anything else you think specifically that would be important to, to talk about before, before we have to wrap up today?
2: Um, I, I would just reiterate, you know, some of the key points, which were, you know, vaping is not safe. You know, I would say the, the only people who really should be trying these products are people who are already starting from a place of harm, uh, of known harm. You know, so adults who've tried every other way to quit and haven't been able to, um, and who have worked with their doctors. You know, there's a lot of um, ways that you know doctors can help, and you know those options should be exhausted first before going to e-cigarettes. Um, and then last, I, I would I would encourage people to try and become as active you know, on these topics as they possibly can, you know, to the, to the degree you're interested. Um, you know, young people, I, I've seen young people make a big difference in a lot of these um, committee hearings in the state of Maryland. And, you know, I'd encourage, you know, all of you, you know, your, your colleagues or your friends or um, whoever to, to get involved.
0: Big thank you to Jeff Hardesty for accepting our interview and for the extremely thoughtful responses that he gave on the intricacies of bait policy and what policymakers have already tried to do when it comes to stemming this epidemic. In this interview, though, Hardesty identifies a very specific way in which everyone can help solve this issue, which is to reach out to local advocacy groups and legislators. If you live in Missouri, that local group could be bait But like Hardesty said, these advocacy groups exist across the country. This being said, though, don't hesitate to check out our website, vacuit.org or visit all of our socials at vaquit.org, no matter where you live, to see how you can help educate. Everyone can do something for their community. Why not start now? Thank you if you got this far, and I'll see you again soon for another episode of Vaquit.